Welcome to the American Classroom, where we discuss the role of education in building a civil society. My name is Jared Taylor, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Crosling. Today, we're talking about master teaching. Good Can morning. The, the next in the series. You ready for that? I'm ready. Going to be good. Well, let's get started. We have a special guest today, Kathleen Lopez. So thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Kathleen Lopez is the principal of the Heritage Academy Gateway Campus, which is appropriate re recording. It's the 10th anniversary of that wonderful, beautiful campus. So we're glad to have you here. And a sponsor for our podcast today is Heritage Academy Schools. We've got eight schools. They're running. They're doing great. Well, this is the second in our te Master Teacher series, and we're bringing in people that really know great teaching. And Lindsay and I, we don't necessarily have a teaching background, but we have children, and they've been greatly blessed by great teachers. We're admirers of great teachers, but we want to bring in great teachers so they can share their stories and experiences. And today, we're going to ask you a little bit about what makes a great teacher. And I heard great things about your teaching as well. So I want to hear a little bit about your story. Why did you decide to get into teaching? And then maybe we'll pick it up from there. So I have been in education for 25 years. I was one of those rare folks. I declared my major at ASU the first time I walked on campus oh, to do wow. a tour. Um, I knew I wanted to be a teacher always. So I got my undergrad from ASU, started working um, here in Arizona. I taught at Mesa Public Schools, Gilbert Public Schools, and then 10 years ago made the transition over to Heritage Academy Gateway. I was part of the so fun opening year. Um, I love to tell this story. I tell it every time I give a tour on my campus about how we were in six little portables. We had eight staff members and 49 scholars, and it was this amazing, awesome family, and how we've just almost grown exponentially since then. Um, the Gateway Campus is now pre-K through 12th grade, and we have um, over a 1,000 scholars that we get to work with and teach. So it's been an amazing experience. Um, I love my families. I love teaching. I have a degree in special ed, a math certificate, and um, my master's is in counseling, uh, counseling in HR. So yeah, that's great. I, yeah, I've only had one other job in my whole life that wasn't with young people. That's <laughs> so. great. Well, no wonder you're so happy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, um, talk to us a little bit about what you've observed. How many years in education have, have you been now? 25. 25. Okay. So you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in teaching. For sure. And I actually, when I taught in Gilbert Public Schools, um, part of what I did as a special ed teacher was, and I was, I was an itinerant teacher, which meant that I pushed into lots of different classrooms. Yeah. And it was really enlightening for me to see so many different teachers every day in their element to get to learn about them, um, both the bad and the good, see yeah. from that example. So, it, yeah, it's there's so many, so many good teachers out there and, and so many that want to be good teachers and want to get help. So, Well, one thing that's so great about these recordings is people can go back and we can share them with, with new teachers or um, teachers that are maybe three to five years in that are still working on establishing those good habits and patterns. And you've really been able to see from a bird's eye perspective the last couple of years as the principal, um, some great habits that teachers have, so these master teachers, these, these ones that have kind of got the it factor, but they probably worked at it. But share a couple of thoughts that you've had uh, or observations that you've seen 
relative to some of the best habits that you've seen that teachers? So I, I kind of narrowed it down to three different areas that I think make teachers masters of their craft. Um, and the first one I think is the most important and it's a, it's care and uh, having appropriate relationships with your scholars taking the time to build those relationships and having the scholars know that you are there for them, you care about them. Um, you know, that is the most integral piece. I think scholars will do anything for a teacher they know cares about them, just like we as humans do, right? When you know someone loves you and has your, your best interests at heart. Um, and then the second one I thought about was classroom management. If your content is on point, if you're the best chemistry teacher or history teacher in the whole world, if you can't uh, control your classroom, it doesn't matter. Um, and then the third thing that I thought about was just a continuing desire to grow, to improve, to that willingness to change and modify and adjust, especially when you've been doing something as long as I've been doing it. Um, you know, not to say that you want to jump on the bandwagon and do the latest and greatest thing this year, but just an openness to saying, oh, wow, maybe the way I did this for 10 years is not the best way and I could learn something new so yeah that's amazing those are those are the three areas that I kind of picked out okay well, let's let's dig into those yeah you know it's interesting the last couple of days I've just been pinging my daughter she's in eighth grade and I was like hey who are your favorite teachers last year and why because I can go through and think about all my favorite teachers throughout my life and she gave me a list and a lot of them line up with like the reasons why or reasons why teachers are masterful uh, the ones that are. And when I thought back myself, I thought, you know what? I remember the ones that I felt cared about my success and cared about me in the classroom and knew me well. And so I don't remember if they were an expert at history. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, it's memorable for me years later that they cared about my success. So I love that that's number one. Yeah. Um, one of my teachers, uh, I was working with my scholar council about an activity and we were talking about maybe missing some class time, you know, to do this activity that they wanted to. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't miss class time with this one particular teacher because she needs us to be in her room. She needs us to be learning and we cannot have miss her class. That's not going to be OK. And they weren't saying it begrudgingly or angry. You know, they weren't they were like, no, it is important for us to be in there. And she needs us in there so she can work with us and do what we need. And. I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Like what high school kid is like, no, I can't miss calculus. I, class. I, I have to yeah. be there. No, I heard a, yeah, I hear parents say all the time. In fact, I remember a parent talking about their senior who needed to get their wisdom teeth taken out and they would not schedule their appointment during a specific class because they really wanted to be there and they didn't want to miss. And usually, you know, you hear stereotypical students, sweet dental appointment. <laughs> I had to miss school. So the desire to be there because they know that their teacher cares if they're learning. Right. I right. took a class from a really great teacher named Lee Brower a couple months ago, and he made the distinction of a teacher who's interested versus interesting. And he says, you got to start with being interested. You know, what does the person really care about? Mm -hmm. What are their challenges? What are the obstacles facing their life? You know, start there. Let them know you care, Right. Because yeah. they don't care how much you know, right? you know, the old phrase. But anyways, I think that's an important distinction. But tell us a little bit more about that. How have you seen that expressed or, or how teachers develop that in themselves? Uh, I think that it has to be a little bit just part of their personality. I think that working with young people is challenging. 
Um, sometimes you get your feelings hurt. Sometimes it's hard to come to school. You don't really see that you're making a difference immediately. Um, I have another teacher on my campus right now. She happens to be my special education teacher, and she has such a heart for our scholars that she works with. I mean, all of our scholars, but in particular hers. And it's so important for that relationship to have been built with those those young people especially because they struggle and they don't always feel success and having that relationship with her having them know that she's going to call their parents and tell their parents how much she loves them and cares about them and it's it's moved mountains for these kids they've they've accomplished things that maybe they wouldn't have been able to they have some self-confidence that they wouldn't have been able to and it all started with her having that that moment of hey, I'm here and I love you and I want to help you be successful. Um, as I'm telling this story, I think that it's it's okay for teachers to tell their scholars that they love them. You know, we live in this world where words like that can be portrayed as not appropriate, but it's it's not inappropriate. They have to care about them. I mean, they're giving up their time. They're giving up their lives at home a lot of the times to do that. Um, and sometimes that's the only place they might hear. Right. Right. I had I had another teacher um, come in and we were struggling with this young lady. She graduated. Thank goodness we, we got her to graduation, but we were struggling with her. And another teacher was talking to her and she looked at her just straight in the face and said, are you being for real? Like, you really care about what I'm doing? Wow. And the teacher was just gobsmacked, like, well, of course I care. I'm talking to you. Like, you know, sometimes I think they think it's just lip service, but. Wow. Um, and then along with that, too, with appropriate relationships, it's teachers setting boundaries for themselves. You know, what, how do I have another teacher? She's young on my campus, not super young, but young. And she gave everything. She was there in the morning. She was there at lunchtime. She was there after school. If you ever walked by her classroom, even during a passing period, there was like 30 or 40 kids in there because they loved her and wanted to be around her. And last year she came to me and she's like, I'm really struggling, Kathleen. Like I, I'm cranky when I get home. Um, she now has two young kids and a one-year-old. And I think her oldest is in our kindergarten across the street this year. But I'm like, you've got to get some boundaries. You have to be there for your family when you get home too. And it, she was open to that. She, you know, we talked through like, this doesn't mean you're not a master teacher. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It doesn't mean you're not doing everything that you can, but you have to be there for your own personal children too. And so I helped her, you know, set up some boundaries with the scholars. And this year she's like, oh my gosh, it's so much better. And, and they love her just as much as they loved her when she was available every minute of the day. So. Oh, that's good. Thank you. That's, that's super, that's just so powerful. That's great. I can think of an example, even if it might not come naturally to teachers to, you know, be that caring um, every minute, just doing things like bell work. Um, I've heard from scholars, if a teacher, you know, at the beginning of the class says, okay, write down a fictional land you'd love to live in. And, and then the teacher shares theirs. And then the kids get to know each other and they get to know the teacher and the teacher needs to get to know the kids without being like, where did you grow up? You know, mm -hmm. let's talk about classroom management. This is always, always a, a hard one. I know, um, you know, back in the olden days when I went to school to be a teacher, there was the old adage, don't smile until Christmas. You know, you have to. <laughs> Christmas. I thought it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> Christmas is what I learned. Um, but it is really important. Um, and I do believe heritage is 
is really good at helping develop this sense of consistency and recognition of the importance of everyone buying in. So at the beginning of every semester, every year, my teachers and scholars create the class expectations together. Oh, right? Like we sit down, we talk together. What what do we want this class to look like? What what should our policies and procedures be? If you have to sharpen your pencil, what does that look like? Um, and then they also talk about the consequences. What should the consequences be for those that are interrupting the learning environment of others? So you immediately have the scholars understanding that they're part of the whole plan and they see the relevance to themselves. Now, truth be told, I have high schoolers, um, but I think this is relevant all the way down to elementary school. It's good. The conversation is going to look a little different with a second grader, but having them have their voice in the decision for the way their classroom is run. And then with the teacher, the hardest part is being consistent with that because of the caring we always want to make an excuse right well jared's talking because he had a bad day so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call him out but that's where you have to not smile until christmas is everyone has to follow the rules you have to um you know issue that consequence exactly the way that you determined that you were going to do it so the scholars understand okay this this is really going to happen and it's it seems counterintuitive to young people, but they want structure. Yeah, they, they think they want anarchy in the classroom, right? Like, we're going to get to decide what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, we get to decide if we want homework, but they don't really want that. They, yeah. They're they not able to voice that yet, you know, and they, they thrive when the environment is structured and when the teachers are consistent. Um, I have a, a new teacher on my campus. She actually had many years teaching college, but she's brand new to teaching at the high school and it was a, a very difficult learning experience for her, you know, to manage a classroom full of freshmen versus college level scholars who are paying to be there. Right. So um, different motivation levels. Yeah. I'm like, they don't really get to choose when they're <laughs> freshmen. <laughs> right. I mean, we all have free will, but we have to help them along and force them. And, and we work together and, and she sees the value in it and things are way better. Yeah. in her classroom this year and the scholars are learning more and um, yeah, it's been good. I like how you didn't use the word discipline. I didn't even hear that word come out of your mouth on there, but you talked about consequences and correcting behavior and things like that. And I, I think it's Barry Wong makes the, in the first days of class. Harry like Wong, class. yeah. Is it Harry Wong? Harry Wong. Okay. You know, he says, don't think of discipline as separate than your classroom management. Because if you're managing your classroom and the systems and habits, then discipline's just part of it. It's self-correcting. That's part of the management of it. I like that mindset. Yeah, it works. It works when kids understand, you know, what am I expected to do? What are the rewards when I do it? And what are the consequences when I don't? It makes everything run really smoothly doesn't hurt that I have the best scholars, you know, there. <laughs> <They are, laughs> that does <they> help. <laughs> <are> great. <laughs> and I love that. I'm a process guy. I like Six Sigma and Lean and all that. And that whole idea of classroom management, the systems and rhythms of here's what it, here's what great students, great learners do. Mm-hmm. And this is what, this is how we do it in this class. But every teacher can be a little different in that as well. Absolutely. Um, I have one teacher who, if you were to walk into her room, you would not think that learning was happening um she has uh these really flexible desk things and you'll walk in and she's sitting on the floor with 12 kids laying around her at her feet and they're talking about math 
and the kids are a hundred percent involved and amazing learning is happening but it doesn't look maybe like what someone thinks it should look like and then I have another teacher who has come so far um, too with his classroom management and his system is that the scholars are in desks and they know they have their assigned seat and that's what works for him so you you're right you have to figure that out as a teacher and it takes a lot of um, trial and error sometimes and to moving to my next point about the teachers uh, the next habit I think is successful being willing to grow and improve is you have to realize that every year it could be different you can't forget as a teacher that you're working with you know 25 30 different personalities every class period so what works in your first hour class might not work with your third hour class and if you're so set in your ways you're missing an opportunity to make connections with those scholars and to increase their learning yeah and each learner is different right just like in your previous example loud classrooms don't necessarily mean learning it might be hands in the air talking quiet doesn't necessarily mean learning it might be right but if you got to dig down into the learner, le- the learner level, whatever the appropriate term is there, right? Because you have introverts. Quiet is learning for them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're cogitating and processing. They don't need to have their hand in the air and talking all the time. But we all know the people that do. Yeah. <laughs> and, they- yeah. And that goes back to learning your scholars and that care component, yeah. too, is taking that time to figure out like how does how does this group of kids function the best together versus how does how does this group of scholars function the best together? it's almost like a kaleidoscope you know every hour is different you have a different mix of learning but it's all beautiful yep. you just got to kind of tune into it but you know every now and then we'll we'll get a resume that says they have 25 years of teaching experience and i always want to know well do you really have 25 years of experience or do you have one year of experience 25 times over mm-hmm. right are you really growing and so we dig into that in our teacher interviews to see is this person really that deep into their um development as as a professional educator and um you know we have certain questions that we go into that cuz some people just think that they're okay and this this applies to all professions not not just teachers right they think oh i'm 5 years in i know everything it's all been done i'm good just keep doing it over and over yeah if you're if you're done learning you're you're done growing and it doesn't it doesn't make you a successful person i think in any avenue you know you have to be open to taking more classes or doing reading um going out on your own and you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, not not jumping on every bandwagon that you come across, but being willing to spend that time doing research. And then for my content area teachers specifically, having them dig into the standards every year and what do, what am I expected to do this year and adjusting lesson plans. If, in my opinion, if you're teaching the same curriculum map year after year after year, you're missing an opportunity um, to do good things in your classroom and to do good things for your scholars. So. It's, it's that effort, it's that extra step. Um, at Heritage, we are really different because we don't dictate curriculum to our teachers. Um, especially at the high school level, every time I give a tour, parents ask me, well, what curriculum do you use? And I'm like, well, we use the state standards. They want to hear some brand. Right, right. <laughs> and you know, I have to explain to them, and it takes a second, but I'm like, we hire people who are are experts in their content area. So we trust that they're able to look at the the state standards. And on my campus, we have a 
ridiculous number of dual enrollment classes. So my teachers not only teach to the high school state standards, but they also teach to the community college standards. So I trust their professionalism and their expertise to create lessons that meet those standards. And parents are like, whoa, like you trust your teachers? Well, yeah. Trusting teachers, imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) We do. They're professionals. That's awesome. But they go out of their way. They do that research. They adjust their curriculum maps yearly. They work on their lessons. And I feel like the best teachers are always adjusting lesson plans, you know, even between first hour and second hour. Oh, wow, that example didn't go great. How can I fix that for my next class? I love that Heritage Academy hires subject matter experts and that that's so important. And from having a child at Heritage Academy, um, one teacher that came up was math teacher from last year and I said math isn't your best subject like why was that one of your favorite teachers and she said she was so good at explaining to me which means she was good at teaching the subject Mm. that made sense to someone who maybe struggled with math or wasn't their best subject Um, and she excelled in it so yeah subject matter expert and then is able to deliver and then I have so much respect for I've in my adult life I've taught just on a volunteer basis in the community And I have so much respect for teachers, the classroom that have good classroom management, because that's one thing I've never been trained on. (laughs) And so all of our teachers are so good at that. And I go into a classroom and I'm like, I have so much to learn from you guys. It's funny. I know we'll get to these retired lawyers that have been in the courtroom for 30 years, putting bad guys in jail and they get into a classroom and they're like, "Ah, I got this. (laughs) A weekend, they're like, "Uh, I don't got this. (laughs) And Help then me. that's when our principals come in with the training. Yeah. Oh, I know. You guys are the best. So let's say we have a new teacher and we need to get them into new habits. They haven't learned bad habits yet, right? What are two or three things that new teachers can do to start on the right way, you know, getting these good habits down and learning, not getting frustrated, trying to get do it all at the same time? How, how do you coach your new teachers? In- so one of the programs we have is every time I hire a new teacher and quite frankly, just as long as they're new to heritage, it doesn't matter if they have years experience anywhere else, they are assigned a mentor teacher. And we have an outlined uh, number of topics that those those two people will cover over the years. So that that's the first point of contact for them to ask for help. Um, the second point of contact would be me and my admin team. You know, we spend a lot of time observing our classrooms on my campus. We're in there at least once a month, if not more often. We want to know what our scholars are learning. I want to be able to answer questions when people ask me, you know, what's happening in French? Um, And having us be able to visit with them and help them along. And then the the piece that I think is, is really important that I learned from my own experience is observation of their peers. Um, spending time in another classroom it can be so helpful to see it's first of all it's much less stressful than being observed right having your your administrator in your classroom makes people sometimes get very nervous um so when you go and spend even 10 or 15 minutes watching another teacher you can learn so much from them um you know there's books there's videos we have all kinds of things that that we do um depending on the teacher's level of uh, experience. I have different readings that I assigned to them. Harry Wong is actually one of them. It's very tried and true. That was that was a book I got Great when book. I was in, in college. Um, um, but it's encouraging them to take that time um, through it and saying, hey, this is where I see a need for growth. Um, 
I mentioned another teacher. He um, really struggled when he first started, and he was almost the most dedicated person I've ever seen with wanting to grow and wanting to improve. He would take any feedback from anybody. He went out of his way to observe his peers. He did all the reading I assigned him. We worked together, you know, we met almost on a weekly basis for a while. And it's just that desire to improve. It's just like our scholars, right? Effort usually gives success right when you put a lot into it when you care about being successful when you care about making a difference for your scholars um so kind of to sum up to answer your question after i just kind of went on and on um i would just say making contact with colleagues having a good relationship with your administrator and being willing to listen and improve and take that feedback yeah yeah i know one great teacher that one of the best teachers that my children ever had I asked him, I'm like, how did you do this? You don't have a teaching background. He majored in finance. And eventually he got more education in the professional discipline. He goes, you know, I was so desperate. Every prof- every in-service, I just looked for one thing I could do to enhance one lesson. Mm-hmm. He goes, and it just kind of stacked up over time. And I don't know. I guess I'm a good teacher. He was a fabulous teacher. And I have lots of stories. We'll, we'll talk about Travis sometime. Mm-hmm. And he was he was excellent, but that was his approach. He's like, I don't know, I just did one thing, yeah, every in service and stacked them up, which, which was great. Thank you. This Thank is you great. For having this me. is a fun conversation. Fun conversation. Having great teachers is indispensable to great learning and great and great schools. And this is one of the reasons why your teachers are the best and your school is the best. So thank you for being here with us today on the American Classroom Podcast. Lindsay, any last last words here before we wrap up? I would just say um, another another important feature of a master teacher is that they're a good role model and that not only are they subject matter experts, but that they demonstrate the character and the respect yeah. to their students that they expect in return. And I see that a lot um, as a quality of a master teacher. So I just wanted to. That's that good. Yeah, That's I good. agree with that for sure. Well, we're grateful for your participation here on American Classroom Podcast. We'd ask those that are listening to uh, rate us and um, click like and all that good stuff on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you see your uh, or listen to your podcast here. Um, uh, follow us in our on our Facebook group. Um, our webpage is AmericanClassroom.show. And we look forward to talking more about master teachers in the future. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. Thanks for coming.